Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne. It's broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and brought to you by your local community radio station. Wage theft, penalty rate cuts, undermining of wages and conditions negotiated during EBA bargaining. These are the realities of Australia's industrial landscape at the moment, but when workers fight back, we can rely on misreporting of the situation. The latest is that Penny Vickers, the Western Australian Coles Workers case in the Fair Work Commission to put aside the Coles SDA agreement of 2011 because it underpays night and week, end workers, is being reported by the 730 report in this way. That business figures and industrial relations experts are warning of workplace chaos caused by the possible collapse of enterprise bargaining agreements covering hundreds of thousands of workers. We speak to Josh Cullinan from the new Retail and Fast Food Workers Union who was part of the team that challenged the Coles SDA deal of 2014, a deal that was found not to pass the better-off overall test, where workers are not worse off than with the award, with the new deal, that they won't lose wages or conditions with the new deal. The idea that the big end of town supports the EBA system because it provides stability in a climate where bosses at workplace after workplace are trying to slash and burn wages and conditions, stretches credibility to breaking point. The idea that workers fighting for their rights is the cause of instability needs to be stopped in its tracks, outed as the self-interested position of the big end of town that it is. More of that later. Finally, we'll take you to India and a protracted dispute at India's largest car plant where workers have been threatened, physically abused and jailed just because they want union representation. But first, some union news. The Brotherhood of St Lawrence has just released a report that has found youth unemployment in Australia is the highest it has been since it started to be counted by the government 40 years ago. Generations stalled, young, unemployed and living precariously in Australia, March 2017 report shows that 18% of 15 to 24-year-old Australians are out of a decent and permanent job. This is on top of the 13.5% officially unemployed. The analysis draws on data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics and the Household Income and Labour Dynamics in Australia survey and shows that in the past 15 years, the average gap between the working hours of unemployed young people and their desired hours has widened. This means that this is a systemic problem that cannot be blamed on the individual. The report says that young Australians face a much more brutish job scenario than their parents or grandparents ever faced. James Brown, a 19-year-old, describes what it's like being underemployed. I've been paying two-thirds of my weekly income on rent. 
It's difficult, but really I've learnt to kind of live with it. I have no savings, let alone having a beer on a Friday night. James works 10 to 20 hours per week in retail on the Gold Coast. He says he applies for 30 full-time jobs per month and gets nowhere. Investment in education, training and new industries are needed, according to the report. Australia's most famous working-class man, singer Jimmy Barnes, has joined the campaign to help. George Columbaris, celebrity chef, told staff last week that I am so sorry we have messed up after staff had been underpaid $2.6 million over a six-year period with it being found that one chef was owed up to $100,000 in stolen wages. Former employees have disputed claims by made establishment, Columbaris's business entity, that historically poor processes were responsible for the underpayment. One long-term serving senior employee of made establishment said the company put people on salary at the earliest possible opportunity and then made them work a 50-hour week with no overtime. That gets the average wage down to under the award. Managers were always rostered on a Sunday to avoid penalty rates, the former employee said. Made establishment chief executive denied the wage theft was pre-planned or systemic. He agreed that a single employee had made a complaint to Fair Work Ombudsman in 2015, but we understand there were notices from Fair Work at that time, but part of the modern award is the need to fulfil a reconciliation, and that is what we did when I came in George Columbaris joined the IPA, a think tank, with direct links to the Liberal Party as early as January 2012 in calling for the end of penalty rates. The problem is that wages on public holidays and weekends greatly exceed the opportunity for profit and it's not like they've had to go to uni for 15 years. Blogger Matt Calgill who's an economist with the ACTU, wrote on his blog on January the 10th, 2012, in response to George Columbaris's comments, claims that if he, George, claims that it is uneconomical to open on Sundays, yet he nevertheless opens on Sundays, why would he do that if it were true that his costs exceeded his revenue? It leaves only one question for the celebrity chef that wouldn't. Should he be forgiven or reviled? At the end of March, the federal court increased by tenfold a fine imposed on the CFMEU over a blockade at Perth Airport. So the fine went from $23,500 to $242,000 after upholding an appeal brought by the Australian Building and Construction Commissioner, ABCC. The blockade in question was on October the 22nd, 2013. It involved CFMEU officials and 100 protesters blockading a construction site at Perth Airport for more than three hours. Just a quick comment from Ralph Edwards of the CFMEU on the outcome. What was it all about? 
was about the union taking action. Yes, it took action. They never denied it. But it was action to recover money, unpaid wages for the people working at the airport, and the union recovered $400,000 in unpaid wages. Now, you would think that the media might just mention that. No way. No way. It is the lawless CFMEU. Well, when you've got contractors who don't pay what they're supposed to pay, you can spend a whole lot of time in court. It'll go on for years and years. And even if you've got the support of the media, like with the uh, Fairfax Press exposing some of these uh, franchise companies like 7-Eleven, it takes years, in fact, to get the money that's owed. So you take a bit of action, you actually put the pressure on, and people actually cough up the money, and suddenly you're the worst criminals in the world. You're on Stick Together with Annie McLaughlin, produced at 3CR Melbourne, distributed by the Community Radio Network, and brought to you by your local community radio station. If you'd been at my place last week listening to 7.30 Report, the ABC's premier nightly current affairs program, you would have seen my ears fuming. The report about Penny Vickers, a mother of two, a night stacker for Coles, taking Coles to the Fair Work Commission to adjudicate on the unfair disparity between the pay of night workers and day workers, boiled down to two things as far as I could see an individual greedy worker setting to send Australian industrial system into chaos and that the better overall test, the test in the Fair Work Commission that checks to see if new industrial deals aren't worse than the existing deals the workers are working under, is also a threat to industrial stability. This in a climate that big business all over the country is trying to cut wages and conditions despite record profits. I spoke to Josh Cullinan from the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union for an informed opinion on the industrial landscape for workers in retail and hospitality. Well, I also read uh, a statement by Erica Betts and it really exposes what the Liberal and National Party see the EBA system for because these EBAs that are now exposed that the SDA negotiated uh, with all the large major uh, retail, well, most of them are large retailers and fast food outlets, strip away the floor, the minimum conditions in the award, the penalty rates, overtime rates, casual rates, lots of other very basic minimum award conditions have been stripped away for these workers. And it now appears that that's exactly what they wanted enterprise bargaining to be able to do. It's it's utterly farcical that um, it would be suggested that those workers who are now standing up and insisting that they get the minimum conditions under the award are somehow undermining bargaining. They're the only ones bringing integrity back to a system which has been used by these massive corporations, the SDA, to exploit these lowest paid workers in Australia. It's farcical that anyone would suggest that they are somehow undermining bargaining. Where's the government in all this? Well, they've been celebrating it. But let's be frank, the Liberal National Party have been celebrating every opportunity for these large-scale, properly unionised, unionised with a capital U, um, sites that have built up conditions over decades stored those conditions um, in enterprise agreements because that's the current system to do it. You can no longer take industrial action for improvements to awards. So they've stored their one condition that they fought hard for, those unions have fought hard for, to improve. And as each of those employers take on those unions and use terminations to um, 
debilitate those unions and strip the workplace rights back to the award, um, the Liberal and National Party, the government, have been celebrating that. They see that as great victories over uh, unionised workers. Um, and now, and now we see the opposite end of that, where um, where the SDA and the major retail and fast food outlets have been working secretly behind the scenes to strip conditions. Once that's being challenged, once that's being challenged by low-paid retail workers that are getting less than the minimum award, suddenly, suddenly there's some kind of problem that needs to be dealt with. Um, and I think we need to we need to keep in mind we had reports last year that the SDA was in Canberra secretly lobbying politicians, both Labor and Liberal politicians, to weaken the boot, to weaken this test so that they can maintain their business model. It's utterly outrageous. It's scandalous. And if the peak bodies weren't reliant on so much money from the SDA, um, they would be out there attacking it for what it is. The Fair Work Act, when it was established, there was a, a parliamentary committee that was put together by Kevin Rudd and Julia Gillard to establish this act. That committee had a pretty exclusive membership. It wasn't it wasn't 20 or 30 people. It was a small membership. The National Secretary of the SDA was on that committee. Um, and one of the keynote elements was about overturning some um, some interpretations of the no disadvantage test of what it was before the Fair Work Act under Work Choices um, and putting in place what was the better off overall test, which was explicitly about every worker. Um, and last year, when before the Coles decision, when we saw other employers being outed as doing dodgy SDA deals, we had companies like McDonald's put out statements saying, no, 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 the Fair Work Commission has assessed every individual worker and determined that they're better off, so that's why we've got this agreement. Um, everyone understood what it was. Everyone has understood the way it's been implemented. This furphy that it's not the individual worker has been created by the SDA and their media company, Essential Media, ever since the May 31 decision last year on the Coles decision. It is, a, it is nothing more than a, a construction, a, a media construction to try and deflect criticism away from what the SDA has been doing. Um, and so it's always been the individual worker. The Fair Work Commission can take into account classes of workers, and that's what it did in Coles. It took into account classes of workers and it found any non-casual worker uh, working a modest number of hours at night or on weekends was worse off. That's what it was about. It was about the simple math and logic that if you give up 25% on weeknights and Saturdays and 100% loadings on Sundays and in return get 7 8 11% for all your hours, it's just simple math. It's, it's year 7 or year 8 math that someone who works a modest number of their hours on weeknights and weekends is going to be worse off. And, that, and that's all that case did, really. Um, now, this, this nonsense construction by the SDA has been given a life by the 7.30 report. It didn't get a life other than that. The SDA has been putting out its media releases and um, putting out its statements to unions and affiliates to try and muddy the waters. But 7.30 gave it a life, and I think it's probably worth looking at who at 7.30 gave it. These are the political correspondents. These aren't industrial correspondents. They aren't people that have looked in and investigated and understood the way that the laws work. Um, and, you know, maybe that's to do with the funding in the ABC. Uh, maybe it's to do with the short news cycle. It's remarkable that the 7.30 report would choose to engage into this debate when their own journalists on ABC TV, on the news programs, on their investigative team in their print and online versions. Um, it's amazing they didn't turn to them and ask their views. Um, they just rushed this piece out, which really criticises people like Penny Vickers and Duncan Hart who have put everything on the line in low-paid work 
earning less than the minimum wage to try and restore these conditions. It's just remarkable that, um, that that's been allowed to happen and that they've swallowed the SDA hook, line and sinker and Westacott from the Business Council of Australia, who happens to be on the board of Wes Farmers, who owns Coles, who has deals in every one of its retail businesses with the SDA. It's just remarkable that they would swallow those lines um, and start undermining enterprise bargaining in this way. But I think there's one, one good thing that's come out of this, that the report inadvertently has shown what's, it, what's happening. The BCA, the SDA, these major retailers and fast food outlets, and the Liberal Party are conspiring together to weaken the boot, to make it a weaker test so that individuals can be worse off. Um, and now that we know that, uh, organised labour has to act quickly and act decisively to stop the SDA from doing this. You're on Stick Together, Union News and Social Justice Issues. The new Secretary of the ACTU, Sally McManus, caused a stir when she made a clear statement that she supported the rule of law, but when laws are unfair, then those laws need to be resisted. She was, of course, talking about anti-union laws like the ABCC and anti-strike laws. The following events in India's biggest car manufacturing plant shows what happens when workers are bullied by business and the state. It also shows why workers need to fight for their rights. The dispute at Maruti, Suzuki in Harahana and Manasar, the largest car maker in India, has been one of the biggest disputes of the labour movement in India for some time. Starting in 2009, workers at the Maruti Suzuki car manufacturing plant sought to form a genuine union, genuine and independent union. These efforts were thwarted and violently repressed by the factory management. For three years, workers fought this battle, facing baton charges, the use of thugs, the use of undermining strategy like buying off the union leadership, and yet the workers' resolve remained unmovable. They wanted their genuine and independent union. By the 18th of July 2012, tensions were high in the Manasar plant. The company had withdrawn from union negotiations. A manager made a castus comment to a worker and suspended him, sparking massive actions. The company bought in thugs to smash up workers' property and to incite a riot. That night, the factory burnt down with one of the managers inside. 150 workers were arrested for his murder. On the 18th of March 2017, the decision was handed down in this case. 13 workers were convicted of murder and received life sentences. A further four workers received five-year sentences and a further 12 received three-year sentences. Everyone else was acquitted. The workers believe they were framed in order to arrest the union leadership. To describe the circus that was the trial, Nahan Joiti, an activist with the Maruti Suzuki Solidarity Committee, spoke to Giselle Hanna from 3CR's Asia-Pacific Currents program. Now, so remember that in the entire phase of 2011, when the strikes, lockouts, all of this was going on, there was no violence from the workers. But on that day, 18 July 2012, when this happened, then the uh, bouncers came in and then they started smashing cars and destroyed company property and all of that. And then there was a conflict there. In the, particularly pertaining to Mr. Avnish Kumar Dev, the HR official who died, that day he was 
he had a contradiction with the higher up management he had helped the workers in formation of their union uh, from november till april 2012 from november 2011 and then the higher ups in the management were quite angry with uh, mr avnish and uh, so then he had also sent in his own resignation by being harassed by the higher up of the management so they wanted to get rid of him also and then the bouncers kind of hit him the autopsy report and the postmortem report also says that he was hit below his right knee there are two injuries which are both below the right knee if there is such an injury which is, which is established uh, that is not with an intention to kill second when the fire happened uh, this is completely attested by all the workers that workers did not that <coughs> neither could they have have had any uh, instruments or anything to set fire to the factory because they were anyway could not carry lighters matches anything they would be body checked every time uh, they would enter the plant so then when this uh, thing happened the conflict happened the workers anyway came out of the factory in large scale numbers while this was happening and then the fire started late in the evening and mr avnish kumar dev also died of asphyxiation which is out of breathlessness so later on also as evidence is nothing has been found in the case itself only evidence that is being showed by the prosecution later on in the case is a matchbox which is found and that matchbox which was intact when the entire thing burnt off that matchbox was found intact i mean uh, there had to be some evidence so then they produced this post facto the incident the mr avnish kumar dev is established that he was a pro worker manager he had a contradiction with the higher management and uh, the workers had no intention and neither was there any logic by any length of the imagination for them to attack the uh, attack mr avnish kumar dev and his death is completely due to the management conspiracy that they wanted to implicate the workers in this manner i mean immediately from that night itself 93 workers were arrested and uh, within that uh, period of one month to two months 148 workers were arrested and were put behind bars put in prison on 16th august 2012 the company comes up with a notice and terminates the services of 546 permanent workers plus around 1800 of the contract workers that is the entire almost the entire contract workers and the uh, 546 of the permanent workers without any due process without any legal notices anything so there was this two pronged attack one in nexus with the government and the police and it is established later on also how the police picked them up it was done completely randomly the that the police picked up the workers people of sea shift who were not even present in the plant people who were absent uh, workers who were absent from the plant everybody was picked up anybody who was seen with a maruti uniform was picked up from the railway station from their homes every anywhere finally the judgment was uh, given on 18th march 2017 <clears throat> last month when the judgment came then that in that judgment we find that out of the 148 workers 117 workers have been acquitted of all charges first this establishes that it it shows the shaky foundation of the case itself it demolishes the entire argument of the prosecution while because the, the uh, and, and 31 workers were convicted when the when the 31 workers are convicted and out of that the segregation is done that is uh, you have seen in the union's releases press releases and all also that 13 workers who constitute the entire union body plus glr the workers with whom the confrontation happened in 18 july 2012 
So 12 union body members plus GLL given life imprisonment sentences. Four workers have been given five years plus 14 workers have been given three years. All these 14 workers plus 117 acquitted workers have already spent four years or around four years a day. So, and without getting bail, 117 workers were acquitted of all charges. So this shows that the case itself was uh, completely false. So the case solely resides on like some one or two eyewitnesses. For example, the sole eyewitness that the state uh, could gather was this person called, for example, Salil Bihari, accused Jialal of setting fire to the factory due to which Mr. Avnish Kumar Dev died. So when this only one witness has, uh, says that Jialal has uh, put fire to the factory, he is asked by the court to identify Jialal for 35 minutes in the court premises he keeps on looking at the workers and he could not identify Jialal. Instead, he misidentifies the worker and another worker whose name is Pawan Kumar, he identifies him as Jialal. So he couldn't even identify. So this is completely false and malicious. It shows it. And the defense lawyer uh, clearly shows that three judgments of the Supreme Court, whereby if the prime uh, witness misidentifies uh, the accused, then the case is demolished. But the thing is, uh, uh, if, if there is a wrong identification, that this accusation is made, which is not even proved by any evidence. Who set the fire to the factory? That is not uh, established. There is no evidence solely on the basis of this witness who misidentifies the worker. The judgment is made. Even the first FIR, that is the first information report, which is done by the management, the general manager of vigilance of the company, he also could not identify any of the workers. So he could not identify a single worker. So uh, these uh, witnesses who could not identify any workers, the prime witness who could not identify the prime accused, even then we get such a judgment. So this is solely because it is a class judgment. This is what we uh, think, that this is a uh, class judgment. It is purely on the basis of class hatred. There is, it is not even looking at the facts of the case. Uh, forget alone the entire history of struggle from 2011. Even that day, 18 July 2012's incident is completely distorted and pitched against the workers. So this is where we stand today. If you want to hear the whole interview with Hana Joyti, go to our podcast for the link. That's it for today's Stick Together. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Ralph Edwards, Josh Cullinan from the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union and Naha Jyoti for speaking to us. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and brought to you by your local community radio station. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 8377 and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.